Welcome, 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 welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we are here to talk today about um, uh, a very, I'm going to say for some, very difficult conversation to have, but it's one that we've had so many times on this program. It's dealing with the subject of death and dying. I have to tell you that in the year 2022, um, if, if 21, 20 and 21 weren't uh, challenging enough, 22 was pretty challenging because uh, early in the year, I lost a dear friend who was like 94 years of age. He lived across the street from us. Uh, he and I, uh, we uh, would get together in my studio to transfer reel-to-reels and albums of uh, Utah Symphony music to digital. Uh, then uh, in February, I lost another dear friend who was a programmer on the station that I work for. And um, really unexpected, although I love the story they tell of him passing. He was at dinner, uh, had a drink in one hand, supposedly a, a 50 cent piece, I think, or a silver dollar in his pocket. And I have some tradition there. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, and he was telling a story. And I don't know if he was finished with the story or not, but then he slumped over, but they were never able to revive him. Uh, then in uh, March, I lost my eldest sister. And um, so it's been a, a very interesting, to say the very least, um, just those three months alone on top of uh, uh, other issues that are going on. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the loss of loved ones, friends, family, etc., etc., uh, with our very special guest today. Uh, he has put together, I think, a very interesting book. It's called uh, Building Our Main Street. And my guest today... Uh, has is uh, is Jane is Christian James, and uh, before we roll in here, you're a 20 year U.S. Air Force veteran, served in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and basically heard about other members of the military that died in service to their country, and left small children behind. And I want to first of all thank you so much for being with us. And and um, I heard it said, uh, the best thing I can say to a service person is just. Thank you. Just thank you. Thank you for having me, and I, I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, just thank everybody that's, that's ever served or is serving because, again, it, 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 can be, it can be a very difficult you know, situation in, in places that we've been and places we're eventually going to go to. Well, and you've also probably seen things, although in the Air Force you're flying high above, but nonetheless I'm sure you're aware of what's going on on the ground, and you've probably seen things that no human being should ever see, should ever be a part of, and yet, boom, there you were in two to two of these different places. Yeah. So when initially, that's that's always the misconception with the Air Force is uh, the the funny thing is the Marines actually fly more than we do. Um, but in 2006, when I was in Iraq, I worked in the prisons, so I was. Uh, I was actually on the ground working in the prisons uh, with the detainees. And two weeks in, we had a full out riot. We had fireballs thrown at us. Um, we had them burning down their caravans and it was all over a misunderstanding. So, and then we've been, I've been mortared in both countries. And uh, so it's, it's one of those situations where I'm thankful to be here. Um, but like you said, unfortunately, you know, we we've all lost, we've had service members lost and and with little kids and families back home yeah 
I will tell you that that one of the things that bothers me more than anything else <clears throat> about that loss, uh, set aside any uh, attitudinal perspectives towards uh, the military, towards military life, towards the reason why you choose to serve, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what really bothers me more than anything else is the lost potential. Mm-hmm. What these individuals, men and women, might have contributed to our society and civilization, and we'll never know. Now, some would say, well, but they contributed because they were fighting for our freedoms, and on and on and on. I say, no, you're, you're missing the point. The point is, what if we had stopped this silliness of, of bickering and, and, and killing one another over, in some cases, territory? I mean, again, there's all kinds of reasons and so forth. And who knows, maybe this person might have come up with a, <clears throat> a cure to eradicate, who knows, the coronavirus or, or, or encephalitis or, you know, uh, whatever, whatever the, the issues are. Or come up with a new way of traveling from one part of the world to the other, not only in a sustainable manner, but in record time. You know, I, I've been hearing about these uh, rapid rail systems that could actually take you, if they were actually developed and built, uh, from Los Angeles to New York in an hour. You know, uh, and so on and so on and so on. And that's what that's what uh, saddens me. But not so much uh, the conversation today about that lost potential as much as uh, the loss to those who are left behind and especially especially kids. Have you found in your experience <clears throat> since writing this book in particular, but maybe even prior, uh that um, is there a certain age break at which these young kids especially be, they they actually do understand that mom or dad or brother or sister aunt or uncle whoever it is um, they're not coming home you know and I'm so sorry but you're you're not going to be seeing them again and and do they do they get it or is it still no, no, no. I'm going to sit. It's almost like, you know, this uh, as well as I do, I'm sure, of uh, pets. Uh, I remember seeing, for example, when, um, oh, who was it? Uh, oh, George Bush, George Sr., mm-hmm. after his passing, and they showed that picture of his service dog laying there in front of his casket. I mean, that was just, I mean, that, that touch, uh, how can that not touch you? Um, but what about that? that perspective of kids. I mean, cause usually kids out of the mouths of babes, as they say. I, I agree. So when I was 11, I lost my grandfather and I still remember like not understanding it. Cause he was my first, you know, lost family member. And I remember asking my dad, you know, what happened? He goes, Oh, he, you know, he was putting his plate away from having breakfast and he just, you know, fell and he was gone. And I said, okay, what, where'd he go? And like heaven. I'm like, okay, what is, you know, what's going, you know, can you, and all he said was just know he loved you. And then that was it. And he cut me off and, and moved on. And it made me really think for a very long time, like, okay, what is heaven? Because again, in stories, we hear different things and then different religions don't necessarily call it heaven. They call it something else. Mm -hmm. And so my thing is, is I was like at 11, I still couldn't really comprehend it. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, Honestly, the reason I wrote the book was because my father, unfortunately, passed away um, in 2018, I suspectingly, like we unfortunately found him and he had passed away 
and my nephews when we went to the house the next day my one of my nephews was just like yeah my dad pulled me aside and said we need to talk about grandpa and i just kept he's like i just kept saying please don't be dead please don't be dead please don't be dead and i'm like you don't really understand what that means yeah right yeah and so when i decided to write this book um it was actually my my now wife who gave me the idea because we were leaving disneyland and her grandmother had just been in a um in a, a retire, like a, she had broken her, uh, her leg. So she was at like a, a, a care facility and she goes, I really wish the care facilities was like main street where they could go into different rooms and they would have different things to do. Like there's a movie theater or there was this or was this. And then I had the idea of, well, what if, cause we always are told like your life flashes before your eyes when you pass. Mm-hmm. Well, what if it's Main Street? What if your life flashing before your eyes is legitimately your favorite places? Because I love Disneyland. When I moved here in California in 2008, the first thing I did was get an annual pass to Disney. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it wasn't so expensive. Like, I don't have it now because prices, like, from 2008 to now went from 450 to, like, $1,700. And I'm like, okay. Um, but... <laughs> I love Disneyland. It's something that I didn't really get to experience as a kid. I went once when I was like six. And then I went when before I went to Iraq. Um, and I joked with my mom. I'm like, oh, this is my good, you know, this is my farewell. I get to go to Disneyland before I go. Um, but that was that was the thing. Is I, was, I was sitting here going, okay, so favorite memories. Like, what if your favorite memories are built on a main street? And it's your favorite stores, places, memories of people, places you've been, places, you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> so that was kind of my way of trying to think of ways to help people understand, like kids understand, um, but also as a way to get family members and kids to talk to each other. Because I'd like for parents to be able to read this book to their kids. And then on the back, there's white pages and be like, okay, what's on your main street? You know, and it could be their favorite TV show or movie or place and write down their age and then, you know, five years later, pull the book back out and go, okay, what's on your main street now? Because, you know, kids change. Yeah. Um, and it's a way to get to know your family, like to, to help your kids get to know you. Because um, that's one of the things I wish my dad was very closed off. He was a military member as well and a fireman. And when he was around strangers, he'd be so open and talkative about his life and his career and things he saw. But when it came to family and when he'd ask him questions, he'd be like, Oh, it's just stuff I did. Mm. So unfortunately, I don't know my dad's favorite song, movie, or anything because he never really opened up to me or anyone that I really know of. Yeah. So, like I said, that's that. I don't want other. I, I'd like for other kids to not hopefully have that, where they're like, you know, what was your dad's favorite movie? I don't know. All I know is he saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at a drive-in, and then. <laughs> <laughs> and then he drove through Texas the next week and was terrified. That's really the only movie story I know of him. My first wife and I sat and watched the first hour, maybe 45 mm -hmm. minutes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. And eventually we finally turned it off. But it took us that long to get up and turn it off because we were mesmerized. Astounded, awestruck. Yep. 
so uh, I can relate from one level uh, in terms of <clears throat> having seen the movie. Uh, but as you talk about what does your Main Street look like, I'm my mind goes to growing up in Phoenix. Not only my my uh, the street that I grew up on, uh, mm -hmm. which. Um, uh, the the Hubble Space Telescope was, I don't think it was named after, I think it was a, a guy by the name of Hubble, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I grew up on Hubble Street. Uh, okay. And uh, I still remember 16th Street and Thomas, the main intersection nearby. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to travel, I used to deliver newspapers to the apartment complexes that I think are still there. Uh, and there was a gas station on the corner there. I believe there's now a Burger King, so it's still a gas station but by mm -hmm. a different form. Uh, and just seeing, just remembering all of these different places as a kid growing up. Yeah, and, and thinking, okay, I, I, and I wish I could go back there. I think, too, one of the other things that I think about, <clears throat> and I'm not sure we'll talk a little bit about this, too, uh, your, your uh, philosophical or, or religious upbringing, uh, mm -hmm. I think I, I really want to find out uh, from the Viking perspective, the Norse perspective, uh, what does Valhalla look like, you know? And then there's right. another place called Shambhala, and uh, and the list goes on of the different places that, that we hear about. That would be kind of fascinating. We're talking with Christian James and a book that he has written, and I think uh, it would behoove you folks to get a copy of this. Whether you've had uh, people that you've lost, uh, and uh, I would be surprised if you haven't, but if you haven't, uh, you know, it's coming because that's life. Building Our Main Street is the title of the book. A website that you can go to, worldofchristianjames.com. Worldofchristianjames.com. And uh, the question is posed, uh, what can parents say to to counsel their young children when a close relative or friend dies. And we'll continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Christian James is my guest. Uh, I think this is a fascinating conversation because we're talking with um, a, 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 military, a veteran of the Air Force, U.S. Air Force, uh, and of course he was deployed uh, helping... Uh, Basically, during the uh, the pandemic, and also uh, uh, you also uh, um, wondered how children were coping with the death of loved ones. I mean, that's that's the other thing. We're talking about this pandemic, and just in this country alone, we've lost over a million human beings. And I often wonder sometimes when I hear the unemployment or lack of workers. Uh, uh, reports, you know, that, you know, help wanted, help wanted, and there's nobody that is taking the jobs. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, we lost a million people. What do you expect? You're not going to have the same, uh, you're not going to have the same employment base, you know, or, or worker base that you had prior to the pandemic, in addition to all of the other reasons, too. But let's talk a little bit about this book. And um, first of all, uh, is it something that can be translated into an audible, or is this something that you really need to have the pictures? And by the way, great illustrations as well. Thank you. Um, Mattia is actually the individual that did the uh, the artistry, and she's awesome. Um, so I actually brought that up to my publisher because I, I like to read and that kind of thing. And he goes, it really doesn't work without the pictures. He goes, you can read it, but he goes, it doesn't work if it's not in front of you. Um, and I said, okay, so that was, <clears throat> that was kind of the end of it. Um, but, and it's just because the pictures are so vibrant and beautiful and, um, he, it, it goes hand in hand. Um, but 
at the beginning when I first wrote the story and I gave it to my my wife, like I, I, I sent it to her via text. Like I had the idea and I wrote it and I didn't hear from her for two hours. So I was like, oh, it must not be very good. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I get a text back and she she was uh, she's a, she was a teacher. And now she's an assistant principal. And she goes, I was giving a test and I read your book and I started to cry. So I had to excuse myself out of the classroom. And then I had to go show my other friend, my other teacher friends. And then they started crying. I'm like, oh, so it's good. She goes, it's really good. She goes, this is something that I think. And this was actually pre-pandemic. This was January of 2020. So it was a couple months before. Yeah. Um, and and then we ended up um, hiring Mattia off of a website called Upwork. Um, where you find, you know, you can hire artists. And I, I highly suggest it if you need anything illustrated, fire, go on there and look for an artist because they're amazing. Uh, there's so many people that are looking for, like you were talking about jobs and um, commissioning work and stuff like that. And she was just amazing and did a great job. And uh, yeah, we, we ended up finally getting it done last year. And then my publisher picked it up. Uh, shortly thereafter, after he read my other book, All Hollows Even Salem, he picked that one up first, and then he picked up uh, Main Street, and it, it got released. So it was about a two-year turnaround, mm. two and a half year. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. Um, I think that with technology the way it is today, mm -hmm. you could create the hard copy and then as you turn each of the pages, I mean, because we know there are greeting cards that when you open them up, they talk to you or they sing or what have you. Mm -hmm. And I'm th sitting here thinking you could do the same thing. It would be a little bit more, maybe a little pricier, but the book could be read to you as you're going through it. You know what I'm saying? As you open each one, almost like a pop-up instead of a pop-up, though. The voice pops up, so to speak, and then reads it to you. Although, I will also say that I think that it would be better if a loved one, a parent, a, a sibling, etc., were to read it to the young kids. Then there's a more personal, a much more personal uh, situation in that regard. And I think that's very, very important, don't you? I do, and it's another thing as they're reading it they can interject their own experiences or places or, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I would hope the little one would be like, you know, Oh, there's this, like, you know, there's a pizza place. There's a pizza place in the book. Like you take me like, yes, you know, and that's something that would be on my main street or cause you talked about growing up in uh, Phoenix. I grew up in Gilbert. So I, one of the things that I love going to is we had a, you know, at one point we had a big open lot. They built an Albertsons. And then they would have the carnival there every year, but then they put a blockbuster there. <laughs> <clears throat> so we used to go to blockbuster all the time, which was great. But then now blockbuster closed and now it's like an auto, it's like a, a, a loan lending place. And I'm like, that's lame. I don't, you know, so every time I drive by it, I think of the carnival I went to with my, with my mom and my brother and then the blockbuster, mm -hmm. you know, and those are things that I can interject with my daughter, Abigail, you know, as I'm reading this book to her and be like, oh, yeah, my favorite memories were going to Blockbuster on, uh, you know, on Tuesdays and hoping the, the movie was still there because, you know, you had the slip cover 
Yeah. And if there was nothing behind it, that meant it was gone and you're just, you know, felt dejected because you're like, well, I don't, what do I get now? You know? <laughs> Better have a second choice somewhere. <laughs> right. So, so you, so I told, you know, it's not like streaming now where you could just, it's always there, yeah. you know, with, with uh, that, you, you know, the, the Goldbergs, there's a show called the Goldbergs that hit it perfectly where the, the kid goes in, he goes, it's not here. Okay maybe the return bin has it. So they start going through the return bin. And if you find it, you feel like you just like won the Stanley cup. Cause you're like, <laughs> I found it. you know, and then you had to ask the blockbuster employee that was probably a teenager that didn't like any of us kids be like, can you scan this in for me so I can have it please? <laughs> you know? Like these are little stories that, you know, you can go off onto yeah. a, you know, a, a, I call it a side adventure. Right. Yeah. And tell stories of like your childhood and things to your little one so they understand you yeah because you know kids kids don't think their parents understand a lot of the things they do and the way they are but it, we went through the exact same things it was just my time was pre-internet pre-streaming mm-hmm. like you know, all that pre-amazon yeah so you you had to hope the toy store had your toy because if not you're in gilbert arizona there you go <laughs> <laughs> well, I have uh, a story of uh, <clears throat> when I would uh, uh, I would be bicycling around, and that's how we got around all over the place. You know, I mean, we were yeah. everywhere on our twenty inch bicycles. I had for a while. I had a twenty inch bike with a banana seat and one of those real tall. They called them. I never understood why they called them sissy bars. Okay. Uh, okay, but it was a real tall one. And, uh, and, and I used to be able to lean back, you know, and just pedal away. And then, of course, I started delivering newspapers, so I went to a bigger bicycle, uh, you know, that had baskets on it and the paper bags on it and all that kind of stuff. But there was this one store there at 16th Street in Thomas. It was on the northeast corner. <clears throat> now, the corner store was a Circle K, where I would get my 64-ounce drink cup and I built a bike, a cup holder on my bicycle for this. All right. Okay. Uh, but down the strip mall, about mm, three doors down, at the end of the strip mall on Thomas Road, was this hobby shop. And I loved building models. Oh, my God. And it was John Fiore's Hobby Haven. Okay. And I would spend a lot of time in there. Uh, he would he would give me deals on certain models because he knew that, you know, even though I was a paper boy and didn't have a whole bunch of money. But I have to say the one that I loved building was the B-52 bomber that uh, he helped me to. Uh, and I would make payments on the thing, you know, and and all that kind of stuff. I, it was it was it was a great time. I, I can I'll never forget uh, that relationship I had as a kid growing up uh, with with him. So yeah, each one of us has our own uh, beautiful stories <clears throat> that we can incorporate as we're sharing the book that we are talking about here today. Build our Main Street. Uh, here's a quote actually from the book. Even when someone leaves us to go visit their Main Street, you will never stop missing them. The greatest aspect of Main Street is it is filled with memories of those we love. And until then, we can visit them anytime by closing our eyes and remembering them. As we do here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Christian James is my guest. We're talking about Build Our Main Street, uh, dealing with the loss of loved ones, uh, whether you whether it be a child or whether it be a young person, um, 
twenties, thirties. It doesn't matter. This book is for uh, I think for anyone. And I, I what I love is the story you told Christian <clears throat> of the now what uh, a, a principal who uh, had to leave the room during uh, administering a test uh, because she started crying. Did she ever share with you? The reason why it touched her so, I mean, uh, uh, did she share with you the loss of the person that she remembered as she was reading that book? So, uh, yeah, the principal now is uh, is my wife. So <laughs> uh, she just told me, she goes, it's so sweet. It's so emotional. And uh, again, because we had discussed it a month prior when we were leaving Disney. And, you know, at the time, uh, her she lived with her grandmother. And when we got married, we had her grandmother move in with us and we took care of her um, until she passed away last July. Mm -hmm. And she just said, you know, it it made her think of all the great times she had with her with her grandmother, even though, you know, because her grandmother at the time, like she she had um, she kind of went downhill to where pretty much she would just get up. You know, she would be in bed most of the day besides using the bathroom and eating. Um, and so it made her think about all the great times, like her grandmother and her riding the bus to go to different places and, you know, just being there for her. And she just said, she goes, this is such a beautiful story. Um, and it, it was just one of those, wow. Okay. I think, you know, cause I've been writing a long time, but it's always been like little things, little short stories, that kind of thing. And she she looked at me and she goes, I think you found I think you found your your niche, which was kids books. Um, and the other you were talking about uh, pets earlier. The I actually wrote and this will come out next year, next summer. It's called Building Our Rainbow Bridge. Oh, and it's it's for those that have lost their little pets and their pets can have fur. They can have scales. They can have whatever. Right. <laughs> um, but I based it off of my French bulldog, Cubby, who I ended up having to put down in June of 2019. And she was my sidekick. You know, when I moved out here in 2008, I got her. And and that's the one thing, like, when it comes to the Building Hour series, because I have a few more that I've written, <clears throat> I want it to be teaching teachable moments for, for parents and, and kids alike because I want them to understand that it's okay to talk about your emotions and your feelings. Because, um, again, like, my dad was very, like, er, you know, like, I don't show emotion. And even when, you know, we had to put down our favorite, you know, our, our German Shepherd, which was his, he loved that dog. Like he, it was absolutely his dog. He loved her. He still didn't really show emotion, but I could tell he was hurt. And I want people to understand that you don't have to act tough. Like you lost a loved one, like pets are family. Um, and it's okay to talk about it and cry and show your emotions. Well, now, you know, <clears throat> that's a very interesting perspective Coming from a U.S. Air Force uh, veteran like yourself, you know, you're right. man up, buddy. Er. Come on now, boy. Big boys don't cry, and you know all that kind of stuff. And especially the Marines. Oh my lord, um, they cry I, too. They just do it in buildings. Uh, <laughs> now, here's here's something. I, I got a, a question for you in this regard. Sure. Uh, we have uh, various agencies uh, within our own government. Mm -hmm. They go out uh, and they're agents, for example, and they go out and they do their job, whatever it is they're asked to do. And when they come back, and this even applies, I think, even in, in our uh, law enforcement, when they come back and if they've completed their task, they are debriefed. All right. Mm -hmm. They spend some time talking to somebody about what happened. 
Correct. Does that happen in the military? Has it ever happened to where we could then get a better handle on what you went through so that we can actually help you to, I don't want to say uh, acclimate, reacclimate to civilian life, but at least so that you can put into a better perspective what you went through and maybe even release some of that, that energy that you've been, so to speak, storing up because of those uh, uh, activities that you've been involved in, I'll put it that way, rather sure. than, <clears throat> okay, uh, you're no longer in harm's way, uh, go on your way. Because one of the things that uh, I think that needs to be put on the poster for recruitment is, yes, we want you to serve, blah, 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 blah. And then down at the bottom, uh, and by the way, when you come back, you're getting no help from us. Because uh, that seems to be the case, and it's really sad because other cultures through history, and you may be familiar, win or lose, certain tribes, for example, win or lose the men who would come back after fighting and defending their tribe and so forth, they were honored for their, uh, their, for their uh, willingness to do that. And we... Uh, maybe on Memorial Day, maybe on Veterans Day uh, and some of the other Flag Day and those kinds of things. Maybe we, we show a little honor, honor and respect. But what about the rest of the year? I mean, you know, as I said before, you've seen things no, and, and people in the military who should just never see. Yes. Yeah, so I'll tell you, I'll have two stories for you. Then this is the differences between the last 16 years. OK. So in 2007, when I got home from Iraq, um, like I said, I had fireballs thrown on me. I was mortared, you know, um, that kind of thing. And when I got home, I didn't have any, I didn't have any mental health checkups. Like my mental health checkup was legitimately me getting home to Phoenix, Arizona at Sky Harbor. Two days later, jumping on a plane and going to Chicago to spend a month with my grandparents where nobody could bother me. I would get my grandparents owned a home in Lincoln Park. It's a mile and a half from Wrigley Field. It's a mile and a half from the city. And I would just get on the bus, listen to music, and go back and forth. And that was my therapy. That was my way of decompressing. Now, <clears throat> now, if I would have came home in 2007 and I had a wife and kids and I wouldn't have been able to get away or decompress and I would have been, you know, because I think that's one of the issues, right, is these military members are, are brought back home and they're thrown back into a lifestyle where, you know, things need to be fixed. This needs to be happening. They're not getting that that chance to relax and and decompress mm -hmm. right right because that's the other thing too is in 2007 i was 20 i was going to be 23. now if you would have sat me down and had a therapist talk to me at the point when i first got home um i'm still processing it all so i probably would have thought that everything was fine i did end up going to a therapist um a few months later just to make sure i was okay now fast forward with the job I did from 2008 to 2018, where I worked with the unmanned aircraft and those flew overseas, I saw a lot of things. But again, I put it in my mindset of this is a job. This is my mission. You know, this is what we got to do. Um, and then when COVID happened, I got activated as the officer in charge at the Riverside County Coroner's Office. And then this mm. past year, I just got I got activated in January to work at the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office. Now, the big difference is after these missions to the coroner's office and everything like that, um, 
I've had mental uh, behavioral health and mental health has contacted me quite a bit because they wanted to make sure we were okay and actually checking on us and talking to us um, because it's it's a very different experience walking into a coroner's office when you've never done that before and it's the sights, it's the smells, it's just everything. And like I would tell my leadership like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, but it's a lot. My leadership checked on me all the time. I checked on my team all the time. And then after the mission, um, I had to go talk to a behavioral health uh, specialist, therapist. And then uh, recently, I just went to the VA because, all you know, I've been in 20 years. I'm still in. I'm still in the guard. But over the years, my back has been bothering me and everything like that. So I listed everything. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was really surprised with how quick they got back to me because I did the report on July 1st. Um, I had appointments to the VA for mental health and for physical examinations two weeks later. So it has gotten a lot better. Plus, the Senate just passed that new bill that's going to help people with burn pits. Um, I have chronic rhinitis. And I think it's one of the reasons that I unfortunately got medically disqualified to be a pilot because whenever I go fly and I land, it feels like I have the flu for about 24 to 48 hours. Mm. Uh, when I was in Iraq, I we had burn pits that I saw every day when I was in my towers burning. The smoke would come towards us. I put my gas mask on um, to protect myself from the giant like uh, smoke plumes coming. But you're always breathing it. And I never had those issues till years later. Um, so I think that's one of the that would be a benefit of a lot of members is when you first get back, you don't want to admit anything's wrong. You want to be like, no, I'm strong. I got through it, you know. But a lot of it is, is when military members get out of service or they're able to decompress and think about the things they saw, things they did, that's when they need the help. And I think that's what needs to be expanded upon. Because if you get out in 2006 and you were, you saw your buddy get hit by an IED or saw your friends, you know, unfortunately lose their lives, it may not mentally hit you at first because mm -hmm. you're still in a state of shock and you're trying to, you know, protect yourself. So you're, you know, you're like, I don't want to pretend like any of this is bothering me. But three or four years down the line after you've gotten out and you're actually now starting to let yourself process it and think about it, that's when a lot of the issues can arise. And I think that's where the military and veterans affairs, mental health really needs to come into play um, because that's one of the hardest parts is they're like, they want proof. They want all this, you know, <clears throat> validation. And they're like, you know, where were you? When were you? And, you know, you need to give proof of this and proof of this. And I'm like, well, I can tell you what happened there, but I can't give you the exact date time. Like, you know, of what happened, like, so I think that's one of the biggest things is at the end of the day, when you're going to get your disability to help you out after everything you've done, mm -hmm. it still comes down to lawyers because the lawyers are the ones that are going to do it. Like they're the ones that, I mean, I was talking to my wife about the calculation for disability. It's ridiculous. Like if, if you have mental health and they give you like a 70% disability rating, there's 30% left, right? They'll say 30% of you is healthy now. If they now, if you claim your knees, your back, and all that stuff, and they give you ten percent, so it's not like eighty percent now. They take ten percent of your healthy, so that's three. So now you have seventy-three percent disability. 
And I'm like, who came up with this algorithm and this calculation? <laughs> like, you could legitimately have over 200% disability rating from different parts of your body, and you'll be at 97%, which they'll round up to 100. And they can come back and look at it years later. And if you go down to 94, you lose your 100%. You go down to 94%, down to 90%, because they round down or round up. So. Wow. Wow. This has been my this has been my tangent the last couple of months when I've actually started digging into it because as an officer now in the Air Force, I was enlisted for 17 years. My goal is to help my troops, especially when they need help. Um, and <clears throat> like I got into law school, I just haven't wanted to pay for it. <laughs> uh, so I do all the research for these for my friends and everything uh, like I'm a lawyer. I just don't have the certain. The, the JD because I don't want to pay $50,000 and be in debt to go to school yet. Like I'd rather, yeah. I'm, you know, I I'm still trying to find like, uh, you know, scholarships and all this stuff to, to help cover it. Uh, because you know, I don't, I I've never had, I, I'm lucky. I've never had student loan debt and it's because of my GI bill. Yeah. I was just curious. I always thought that the GI bill took care of education, but Apparently not. But it runs out. It runs out. Sure, sure. We're talking with James, uh, Christian James, and um, uh, we're talking about Build Our Main Street. That's the title of the book for, um, I'll put it this way, children of all ages, ladies and gentlemen, dealing with the subject that we've been talking about here on the program. Uh, a lot of ancillary subjects as well that are extremely important as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's a pleasure to have uh, Christian James with us here on the program. Uh, and um, um, you have kids uh, at this point? I do. We just had a little girl seven weeks ago, so she's officially seven weeks old today. Her name is Abigail Salem. Well, congratulations to you and your wife on uh, on uh, that new addition. <clears throat> and uh, obviously, uh, there's going to come a day when you're going to be reading this book to your little girl, and uh, because uh, maybe a grandparent, a close family friend, you know, uh, mm -hmm. an aunt or an uncle, especially if there's a, a crazy uncle in the family. I think I'm I'm that uh, that crazy uh, uh, uncle. Uh, I'm actually a great uncle. Uh, I have no kids of my own, uh, but um, uh, I I certainly do enjoy my uh, nieces and nephews uh, of my uh, of my sisters. Um, and um, yet at the same time, I know too. I, I mean, I mean again, I, I remember back in March um, the 29th uh, when I got the phone call from my youngest sister, and I thought for sure. When she said, I've got some bad news, it was about my dad. I mean, my dad, 90 years old this year, you mm. know, last year. And I'm thinking, oh, this is the call. And then it turns out, of course, it was my eldest sister. Mm. And it, it, it was a shock at first. But, you know, we were all aware that she wasn't doing well. <clears throat> but it didn't know that she, I did not know that she wasn't doing that well. Uh, mm. But at the same time, I was lucky enough in January to have had this phone conversation with her. And, of course, found out at her memorial that she never stay, shied away from the hard questions. And I said, are you ready? Mm. And she said, I love the." She said, yes and no. I, what? What do you mean, yes and no? <laughs> she says, well, no, because of my husband, her, her husband, Perry. Because, she, you know, she's worried about, uh, uh, you know, him and, and what he's going through, what he'll go through. But yeah. she says, from a personal, spiritual perspective, she says, yeah. I'm ready. I'm at peace with it. And this is what they, many of the people at the memorial would say when they would talk to her. She's, yeah. 
And I also found out, too, with all of the health issues she dealt with throughout her entire 65 years, <clears throat> I think it was 64, um, they said she was never bitter. Never bitter. And I thought, wow, if only we could all go through our lives uh, not being bitter about the, the hand we've been dealt and so forth. And then, of course, they would talk about how wonderful she was and her smile and her laugh. And I started hearing her voice uh, almost that day that I got the call saying, Richard, hey, Richard, it's all everything's OK. Everything's OK. Talk to us a little bit about your personal experiences with loss. I'm sure that in addition to maybe <clears throat> some of your own men, uh, who, by the way, this is one of the aspects of the military I absolutely love. I wish we could incorporate it more into our civilian life. And that is the brotherhood. And actually, it goes beyond that, the familyhood, if you will. You know, you guys and gals have each other's six, okay? <laughs> Uh, and it's more, it goes beyond not leaving any person behind, any man or woman behind. Uh, you guys are there for each other. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and that to me is that I wish we could incorporate and, and put into a, an injection that we could give to everybody uh, because we sure need that these days. But talk to us a little bit about your own personal experiences with the losses in your life. Sure. So I was, I've been blessed when it comes to having not lost any of my team members uh, deployed. Um, of course, you know, there's teams that aren't, you know, have didn't have that same luck. Um, I've had friends that have lost military members, you know, their friends and their way, they wear the bracelets and that, and that kind of thing. And the old, the thing I would always tell them is, you know, if you ever need to talk, let me know. Um, and it's the same thing with my team members that I was deployed with. I may not have seen some of these guys for 16 years, but, you know, I've talked to I reach out to him on Facebook once in a while and we can just BS about, you know, the things we saw, experienced, the funny stories that we had there. Um, but when it comes to loss, like I said, I lost my grandfather when I was 11. I've, I've you know, I've lost all my grandparents. But the one that was surprising, because, again, they were in their 90s. Right. Um, was my dad. So uh, I talked to my dad that Thursday and I was driving down to Phoenix because uh, we were going to go to. My mom and I were going to go to the Cubs game on Saturday, and then I was going to take my dad and my nephews to the Cubs game on Sunday. And I get in on Friday, and I text my dad, let him know I made it, and I don't hear from him, which isn't weird. It was like 8 o'clock at night. He, he would go to bed early. See, he was retired, but he was always still working. He was a workaholic, oh, yeah. and he wanted, to be a, he wanted to be a therapist. <clears throat> so uh, Saturday, I take my mom to the Cubs game. It's opening day at spring training. I have the baseball, so it's kind of one of those – sad moments because i have a baseball with the date that we found him mm -hmm. um and i met brian urlacher the middle linebacker of the chicago bears my all-time favorite football player and i texted him the picture and i was like look who i met no response again mm. not unusual you know he works a lot and he doesn't have his phone on him uh get home my mom mess or uh, my brother steve messages me and goes hey have you heard from dad and i went no so i messaged my uncle don and I messaged him. I was like, hey, because they were always together. It's like, have you heard from dad? And I see that on the message it says red, but there's no reply. So I um, go downstairs. My mom's having like a little get together party. And I was like, hey, I'm going to go to Circle K um, on, you know, Lindsay and Warner. And she goes, OK, because I wasn't going to say I haven't heard from dad. You know, they're divorced, but they, you know, she still cared. Right. Um, 
so I drive to his condo and when I get to his condo, I turn the corner and there's a fire truck and an ambulance. And I went, okay. And get out of my car, walk up. My brother, Steve is crying, grabs me and he says, um, dad's gone. And I went straight into mode of, okay, we got to start telling the family. Right. And I was like, have you called anyone? I'm like, he's like, no, I'm like, okay, I'm going to call my uncle Bill, who's uh, a retired homicide detective in Tucson. And so I call uncle Bill I'm like, Hey, uh, Bill, are you sitting down? He goes, yeah. I'm like, um, we found dad. He passed away. We don't know what happened. Come to find out he had a rare heart virus. Uh, like he was, he had the flu. And then he, uh, I guess the rare heart virus uh, took him like either at, at night on Thursday night after I talked to him or Friday morning. Um, and then I called my brother, Sean, and then I called my mom and I was like, mom, are you sitting down? She goes, why? I'm like, just sit down. And I told her and she started like screaming and I'm like, okay. Mm. And everybody later is like, how did you handle these calls? Like you were calm, you were cool, you were collected. I'm like, it had to be done. And it's not good to, for me to be hysterical crying and, and I told people later, I'm like, I didn't even cry when he passed away. I'm like, well, why not? I'm like, my dad was 63. And I know you're talking about your sister not being bitter. My dad was very bitter with a lot of the things that went wrong <laughs> in his life. And he would always joke and say, like, I'd be like, happy birthday. He'd be like, Ugh, I'm just a year older. <laughs> I think birthdays, I think a birthdays as a blessing. He did not. So I, I told people at his, you know, at his funeral, Cause he always joke. He always said like, I don't think anybody likes me. I'm like, dad, people love you. Like you've helped so many people out. And when we, when I stood up on stage, it was packed. Like it was a big church and it was packed. And the first words I said was, and he said, people didn't like you, you know? And I just told people, I'm like, he, I know he wanted to be here longer for his grandkids, but I think he was, I think he's happy where he is. Mm. Um, so I'd say that's, to me, that's my biggest loss because again, you know, I got to, t I'm lucky. I got to tell him on Thursday, I love you and I'll see you soon. And he said, I love you back. You know, come to find out my, he was having a sibling spat. And so some of his siblings were like, the last conversation I had was a fight with them. I'm like, yeah, but he had a fight with everyone. Like, <laughs> that was him. Like, I think I had a fight with him the week before. So I was like, trust me, he, he's not holding it as a grudge. You shouldn't either. Yeah. Um, but again, like his passing and my nephew's reaction and the way that they acted is what, you know, was the breadcrumbs to me writing, building our main street. Cause I wanted to write something for them to help explain. Yeah. I, I love, uh, I love the fact, uh, and I can say the same as you, uh, that with my, uh, eldest sister, um, there was, there was nothing unsaid. Absolutely nothing unsaid. Uh, I even told her before we ended our conversation in January, I told her I loved her, you know, and uh, and I know that the days are coming when I'm going to get the phone call, assuming that uh, I am hopefully one of the last few standing. I'm going to get those phone survivor. calls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, about my mother, my father. Uh, I've got I, I, I was born into a family that uh, came to be eight strong, uh, two parents and six, uh, two older sisters, two younger uh, sisters and a brother, younger brother. Uh, 
And so it's like, okay, <clears throat> I'm here, and this is life, and um, I've had a number of pets, uh, both uh, uh, that were mine, but also that were uh, my second wife's, mm -hmm. uh, and also some other animals that we brought together into the family who have since passed. I think the most emotional that I got was over my dear, sweet Makushla. She's a beautiful uh, white uh, a white uh, uh, shepherd. We think shepherd husky mix, but she was all okay. white. And uh, the one thing I can remember about her is that even after the x-rays were taken about, uh, of her hips, uh, that did not look good at all. And uh, the, for 14 months, we had to help her in and out and the, the diapers and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, she would be out in the backyard when she was still able to walk. She would go out into the backyard, roll over on her back, and start flailing her her paws, her legs, all four of them around, as she would writhe around on the on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I told the vet this, and she says, "Well, apparently she hasn't seen her X-rays because <laughs> she's not supposed to be able to do that." Yeah. Um, but she would get muddy when it would rain. She would get real muddy. And within a couple of hours after, she would shake it off and no mud on her. Her fur was such, it just didn't hold on. So she was always this pristine white, so beautiful and so loving. She was a caregiver to the very end. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the, the struggles that I have with the way that we treat humans versus animals, uh, we seem to show greater respect and love for the animal when it's time for them to go, then we do humans. Mm -hmm. The medical community, I use this phrase, does not know when to say when. <clears throat> and I realize this raises all kinds of issues for people about euthanasia and so on and so forth. Um, but, um, for example, we went 14 months with my, with my Makushla uh, before we fi she finally let us know, okay, I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's you know, time. It's time. And uh, it wasn't until I went into a therapy session uh, that I broke down uh, because I felt so badly that we had waited so long and that maybe she was suffering and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I was told by some of my other guests who connect with the spirits of animals who have passed that uh, I did just fine. And now she's with me always sort of over my right shoulder, uh, you know, uh, guiding me along. She's there with me, walking along beside me. And uh, so that's 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 kind of cool. Um, do you think that this is a book that is going to help also with uh, not just family members or uh, humans? But again, as you say, you've got another um, building <clears throat> that you've got coming out dealing with uh, the, the rainbow uh, building our what is it building our uh, rainbow bridge? Yep. I'm so, looking. That'd be great. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the thing, too. Right. Is. As you're looking at your main street, I'm sure your pets and your, you know, your furry friends, your if you have snakes or spiders or whatever you grow up loving, you know, they're a part of your memories too. So why wouldn't, you know, they be there? Yeah. And like, I've always, like, like you said, right. You know, your dog is always with you and I feel the same way. I, at the end of my building our rainbow bridge book, I state that Cubby runs, you know, through her, her own little main street that she had and at the end, it's grandpa. Grandpa's waiting for her at the end of, you know, the rainbow bridge. And it's, I pictured it as my dad. 
my dog cubby loved my dad like mm. he they would play together he would pat her butt really hard and she <laughs> take that as okay it's time to play so she'd jump off the couch and go get a toy and then they'd fight each other and then he'd like roll her over and pat her butt hard again and so that's what i pictured i pictured that you know like i said when my dad passed i didn't cry when i but it's because it wasn't my choice right with cubby i had to put her down like the week before Father's Day, she woke up and she had um, her eyes were like going back and forth, like wobbling. Um, come to find out she had an inner ear issue and she got better for Father's Day. So for Father's Day, I had her back to normal for 24 hours. Like I played with her. She she was a French bulldog and she had a football, a normal size football that she would bite the, the laces of and carry with her. <laughs> so that's what we played with. And then near the end of that day, she like rolled herself into my lap and just looked up at me and I held her. And then the next day she, I woke up and she was back to eyes being out and rushed her to the vet. And they're like, Oh, we fixed her. So I went and got her and she like planted her paws on the ground and was looking down and, it wasn't her and Thursday night I took her home one last night and she shook the whole night. Um, Friday morning I took her mm. to the vet and I made the decision to put her down. Yeah. And I bawled like I was, cause again, to me it's, she's not just an animal. She's legitimately was my child. Yeah. Like, um, she was with me from, I, I raised her from four weeks, you know, up, up until she lasted to be 11. And so my main street's going to be loaded with Cubby. Like that's, you know, and then her sister Wrigley, who's now 14, she's a min pin dachshund. Um, you know, she's so full of life and happy. And we took her to the vet and they were talking about, oh, we know one side of her mouth needs like dental surgery, but you know, we're going to have to put her, put her to sleep to do it. And I'm like, she's 14. She's not in any pain. I don't see her in any pain. And I worked in a vet office when I was a kid because I wanted to be a veterinarian until I saw a big, bald, six-foot-six biker walk in with his German shepherd <laughs> and have to put that, you know, their his best friend down. Oh, and man. I just started, like, I he was bawling his eyes out. And I was like, I cannot do this. Like, this is not, I know it's humane and it's the best way to go, but this is not something I could do. Yeah. Um, but they always said, if a dog is over a certain age, do not put the dog to sleep to clean its teeth because more than likely it's not going to wake up. Yeah, yeah. And so I told my wife, I'm like, I do not feel comfortable doing that. She's not in any pain. I don't see her whining. Like, let's just be honest. My dog, if she hurts her back leg, even a slightest twinge will limp and whine and complain. <laughs> like, and then she'll like two weeks, you know, a day later, she'll still do it. I'm like, stop faking. And then all of a sudden her leg's fine. She stops faking. Like she knows. So I told her, I was like, I don't feel comfortable. She's fine. She's eating fine. She's still eating, you know, hard foods. And, and I was like, I think the, the, the vet's just trying to get money personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, so, so yeah, like, like I said, uh, Del, the Cubby and Wrigley's going to be on my main street. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. And that's the thing too, is you can openly talk about your pets on main street and then rainbow bridge next year. You know, again, it's just a book that I hopefully will help kids deal with the loss and also understand it's okay to adopt another pet. 
Yeah. Because I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to get another one because it's like I'm replacing that, you know, them. And I'm like, you're not replacing them. You're giving another animal a forever home that wouldn't otherwise have one. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, <clears throat> that it's never easy. Uh, one of the things that we have learned, though, uh, this has this it took a while for us to kind of get the message on this one. <clears throat> but uh, I strongly advocate that if you do know that it's time and I like to use the uh, uh, the phrase when it's time to let them go, mm-hmm. uh, that if you can do it in your home. Because, first of all, they're comfortable. They're in Mm -hmm. a familiar place. And if you have kids and if you have other animals, I will tell you that with Makushla, when we finally made the decision, uh, we, we, we came home. And this is interesting. When we came home, as we get out of the uh, get out of the truck, we look up and a hawk is flying over our cottage where we live. Rather, for us, rather auspicious. When the vet finally did arrive and they administered the first medication, if you will, mm-hmm. um, they left us alone for a few minutes to say our goodbyes. And we have, uh, we have four cats right now. We, now, at one point, we had, uh, I want to say, nine and, of course, we've had them pass on. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the cats came over, nuzzled with Makushla, and then laid down right next to her for a short time. Mm-hmm. Another one of the cats came over uh, and nuzzled her a little bit. Uh, basically, the cats would come by, not all of them, but most of them, and showed her uh, that respect, if you will, uh, you know, saying, hey, we know you're we, we know you're leaving. We just wanted to come over here and say we'll see you on the other side, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then the vet came back in and administered the final, the second uh, uh, medication, if you will, and uh, then she was finally gone. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I am the kind of guy who, at the time, I, I I didn't get that emotional, but I also knew that I wanted to, I wanted to. Um, Lay her to rest right away. And I found this giant piece of uh, blue material, almost a silk. I literally had to bring a wheelbarrow in the house. That's how big she was. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, it was so close to the time of her passing that her whole body was just limp. Yeah. So I lifted her and I put her in the wheelbarrow and I gracefully put the the blue over her, uh, the corners. Wheeled her out to the spot where I had prepared for her, and I laid her to rest, and we covered it up, and then I put some rocks over the top to keep critters from bothering her, which they did not bother her, and said a few words, and it was, as I said, it wasn't until the therapy session that I was in uh, where I really let loose, uh, you know, in terms of uh, missing her and wishing that I'd let her go sooner and so forth, and uh, and I've come to realize that, you know, we let her go when it was time to let her go. All right. And there's no no need for guilt. Uh, I think your book is going to be uh, quite profound for a lot of folks building your rainbow bridge, building our rainbow bridge when that is released. Uh, we want to encourage people to get a copy of building our main street. Christian James, along with uh, his wife, uh, Jessica, have uh, 
have uh, uh, put this together, and I say with your, with your wife because obviously she uh, she really um, kind of lit the fire under you, so to speak. So to speak, uh, building our main street. It is a book for all ages. It's a way for families to talk about uh, their fondest memories and what could be on their own personal main street. And instead of the end, it paves the way for the beginning of a new adventure. And uh, the adventure continues here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Christian James is my guest, author of Building Our Main Street, and soon to come, I guess sometime uh, in 2023, <clears throat> Building Our Rainbow Bridge, regarding uh, the loss of our uh, uh, furry and feathered uh, friends, as well as uh, scaly friends as well. We used to have a, a blue-tongued skank. Literally, the tongue of this uh, blue-tongued skank was blue. Uh, I called him a snake with, uh, with legs, because that's kind of what it was like. He would slither out of just about any situation. I want to ask you, before we wrap things up here, uh, Christian, about sure. your, your personal philosophy, what you were raised with, and where you are today, uh, maybe even in light of what we've been talking about throughout this past hour. Sure. So uh, growing up, um, my dad would try to get us to go to Lutheran churches and that kind of thing, but I wasn't really into it. Um, when I got into high school is actually when I went, started going to church with my friends and it was a non-denominational Christian church. I got baptized in August of 2002. And ever since then, I used to help with the junior high kids, the high school kids and that kind of thing. Um, and then now currently my wife and I living in California, we've went to a few churches. We still just haven't found our, our church home yet. Um, but I'm a believer in heaven. I'm a believer in, you know, that's where when I pass on where I'm going to go and I'll go through my main street. My dad will be there. My grandparents will be there and we'll be reunited, you know, for the first time in, you know, however many decades it is uh, once I do meet there. Um, but that was the one thing, too, right, with writing this book is I didn't I don't mention heaven. I don't mention that kind of thing, because I mm -hmm. wanted it to, I wanted to be very open to different people's religions. Or if you're not a believer, if you're, you know, if you're an atheist, that's fine. Like, I just want you to have a book to be able to read to your kids and to help better understand. Again, to me, I've always been told your life flashes before your eyes. So that's my main street. It's mm -hmm. that's part of your life. Because I know that was like one of the biggest things that I've heard from people that have read the book that don't have any religious beliefs or background is thank you for writing a book that I can read to my kids to help understand what happens after we go away. And if, you know, we don't believe this and don't believe this. Mm. And I said, well, that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted to create something where everybody feels included um, and you, and you're not sitting there. Cause again, I think there's all, everybody has a topic that if you, if you read something about it, especially politics right now, right? If you're reading something and all of a sudden a name pops up, it could be Biden. It could be Trump. It could be Pelosi. It could be DeSantis. You're just sitting there. And as soon as you see that name, you go, uh, and you close the article or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I know some people are that way when it comes to religious stuff like that. And I didn't want to put my own personal beliefs into something. I wanted it to be open for everyone to place their own beliefs. Because again, at the end of the main street, you can add whatever you'd like to add 
to where you're where you and your belief system is going to take you. Mm. Well, I applaud you for the work that you have done on this work, on this particular book, uh, Build Our Main Street, and also for the the coming Build Our series, continuing, of course, with uh, Build Our Rainbow Bridge, and and I'm sure there will be others to, to, to follow. <clears throat> and I, uh, I really do appreciate the time that you have given us here on the program to, uh, to talk about these things. This is, to, I think it's, it's not only a, a lot of fun from my perspective, okay, because this subject has always been near and dear to my heart. I've always been curious as to what an ex- a person is experiencing, like my sister. What was it like to, to, to leave the body? And what's mm-hmm. she experiencing now? What is she doing? You know, what, what, you know, and those kinds of things. Um, <clears throat> uh, but at the same time, uh, I'm curious from your perspective. Uh, for, at the same time, I, like my sister, I'm at peace. If today's my day, which I hope it isn't, but if it is, I'm good to go. Okay. Uh, is there more than I want to do? Oh, absolutely. I have to outlive my great-grandmother who lived to be 100. I'm 62. Okay. I've got another lifetime. That I want to live yet. So, uh, but if it's today, <clears throat> hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, same. Like, uh, I'd like to be here for my daughter because, again, she's seven weeks old. But in 38 years, I've lived a lot. I've done a lot. I've experienced a lot. I've traveled a lot. Um, if I if today was my day, I, I hope that I was able to leave, a, you know, something great for my daughter. And I always joke. I'm a big collector of like um, the old Ninja Turtles and like horror Mm. memorabilia. And I have a bunch of stuff signed and like, I have a Lon Chaney Jr. uh, thing signed by him. Like I told my wife, like, you know, if it's my time to go, I think she'll be taken care of because she's going to be able to sell this stuff (laughs) for, for, for a great amount of money. Uh, So, so that's the one thing we always joke about is, well, if you go, you left Abigail with a nice nest egg for later. She decides to need to needs money to go to college or anything like that. There you so. go. There you go. A little, little yeah. planning ahead of sorts. Yeah. Correct. I hear you. I have no kids to, to pass anything on to, <clears throat> but I do have a lot of audio equipment that goes back to the 80s. So I've got a lot of antiques, I guess you might say. <laughs> Some yeah, of it's my- like. 80s or antiques. I'm like, I'm an antique now then. I know. I was thinking the same thing. You know, I was born in 1960, so I'm not sure. Uh, I'd like to consider myself classic. Okay. (laughs) Like a fine wine. You're just aging gracefully. There it is right there. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program, along with Christian James, author of Build Our uh, build our, I, I've already forgotten it, build our um, Main Street, Main Street, yes, kind of like on in Disneyland, as you were talking before. Uh, I have to say that here in Santa Barbara, where I live now, we do have what's called a Main Street. It's called State Street. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I don't think that Phoenix actually, I mean, yeah, okay, Central Avenue, when I was a kid growing up, we could refer to that, I suppose, as a Main Street. But I guess it really depends upon where you were, where, where you were living. Uh, in Phoenix, it was such a large, a large city, even as a kid growing up. Um, but I have to tell you, my friend, that um, uh, I could never move back there. As much as I love my parents and my sisters and brother, uh, my brother lives here in California as well, but uh, everybody else is there in Arizona, in Phoenix, a metropolitan area. I couldn't go back primarily because of the heat, 
but primarily because of the way that it has changed to the to the extent that I don't even recognize it anymore. Uh, and uh, even when we went back there in 2019 for Christmas, uh, and then of course I went back in uh, 2021. Um, it just it just doesn't have the same feel. And I know that places need to grow and change and evolve and so forth. But uh, uh, boy, I tell you what, the memories that I have of of running around the neighborhoods without fear, without concern, uh, with the other neighbor kids, <clears throat> neighborhood kids, and just having a blast, not not a care in the world for the most part, you know. Um, yep. I miss that. I really do. But at the same time, I know that there are uh, greater things are coming. Uh, and I believe that we're not done yet. And we're not done yet with uh, this particular program, Build Our Main Street. That is the book we're talking about. Website, ladies and gentlemen, that you want to go to, worldofchristianjames.com. We've kind of uh, been visiting that world here today, uh, Christian, and we thank you so much for letting us. I appreciate you having me. And if you get a book off the website, I'll sign and personalize it to you. Um, and if you and you can also get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and places like that as well. But with me, it's the same price and it's signed to you and your family. Very, very cool. Well, folks, go to his website, worldofchristianjames.com. And Christian, we're a Christian. We're going to be uh, linked to that website so people can go straight there and find out more about you and the work you're doing. And, of course, anticipate the release of the next work, uh, Build Our Rainbow Bridge and whatever else comes out of that series as well. Um, <clears throat> before we let you go, we like to ask three final questions. By the way, I always find it fascinating when I say that I, I, I certainly uh, suddenly become plural. <laughs> we have three questions we would like to ask you. Who, who else is here? I, I, <laughs> you and your audience. Me and my audience. Yes, the audience would like to ask these questions. Yeah. Before I do, though, I want to address the audience and thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story that uh, we are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other locations on the internet. And we have a YouTube channel where you can watch these interviews, subscribe. We're up to 80 subscribers. I know more people than that are listening and watching these interviews, but uh, I thank those people who are subscribing. You know, you get notified. If you subscribe to the podcast or video cast, you get notified when a new program or new uh, interview is posted. Uh, and that, to me, is the main reason why. I'm not that concerned with 80 or 800 subscribers. I just want to get this information out so that uh, you can uh, uh, you can start really thriving in your life. And that's what we're all about. We also uh, ask that uh, <clears throat> you participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, uh, the 2020s, where you uh, go within and listen to that still, small voice. And even in this context, uh, you can hear that still, small voice like I hear the, uh, the uh, voice of uh, my sister from time to time, just letting me know, hey, it's okay. And uh, I hear her laugh. I can still hear her laughter. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And also, if you would like to uh, support us financially, we do have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And we thank you, thank you, thank you for those who have helped and those who will help. And again, we do appreciate uh, all the support. We'll take energetic support as well. With that, we go to the first of the three questions to our guest here on the program. Again, the author of uh, uh, Building Our Main Street. 
First question, who is Christian James? Christian James is a, a fun-loving individual that, like I said, I'm a kid at heart. Um, I've been a fan of the Ninja Turtles since I was five, <laughs> uh, Disneyland since I can remember. And my happiness is legitimately going to theme parks and trying to do things to make people happy and make people smile because, like you said, there's a lot of negativity in the world. I don't want to add to it. I want to try to add a little light to, to somebody that maybe is having a dark time or a dark day. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Uh, to help people. I want to be able to help people and help kids because, like I said, like I think a lot of people went through a very difficult time during COVID. I know I did. Um, you know, during COVID time, people had the massive anxieties and I want to be able to help people, uh, hopefully get back that smile that maybe they lost during that time. Mm. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Again, I think my life's purpose is being here to help people like my military career. I've always kind of, yeah, I started off as an E1. And even as an E1, they put me in leadership positions to help people because I'm very personable and I'm very empathetic. And now that I'm an, an officer, I have the opportunity to help my team and lead my team. And, you know, now I can mentor them based on my career that I did and show and hopefully help them not make the same mistakes that I did. Mm. Um, and then when it comes to my books, um, my purpose is hopefully just to make people smile and happy. And, and I have another book called All Hallows Eve in Salem. It's a kid's book based in Salem, Mass, with like the universal monsters and that kind of thing. And that book really is just to help kids and understand that even if you're different, it's okay. Mm. Like, you know, you can be a Frankenstein, you can be a wolf man. <laughs> and, you know, you, they go to the town in Salem because they're accepted. Nobody looks at them differently. And they're all just, they just come as a giant community. And I really wish that's how we would all come together, whether it's, you know, the way you look or your religious background or anything like that. Just, you know, be happy you're here and, and help those in need, regardless of beliefs or anything like that. Well, Christian, once again, thank you so much. And thank you for the insights that you share uh, with both your readers as well as our listeners and viewers. And uh, we hope to have you back again when you have uh, uh, the release of your latest work. I appreciate it. I'll send it your way when I get it done. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, uh, one of these days, maybe we'll uh, have the opportunity to meet in person. And um, I thank you again for being with us. Thanks, sir. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.